great to be here with you all, and I absolutely love Pastor John. Uh, he, he and Amy and I have been talking for a while about us getting to come and visit Living Spring and her lead worship and me preach, and uh, I'm excited that the day has finally come. The thing I'm a little bit unsure about is, why did he pick a Sunday when he's not here? You know, uh, I'm trying not to read too much into that. I, I, will, I will just approach this confidently. And, uh, and I also love the other John that you have here at this church, Jonathan Puckett. Uh, I got to know him a little bit before he came and joined your team, and he's one of my favorite young leaders in our conference. So you guys are blessed. I'm sure there's more Johns in the house that are amazing too. So um, it, it is an honor to be here, and we are planting a church. Uh, uh, the last few years, we've actually been a part of the team at the Lambs Fellowship in Lake Elsinore, where Buzzy Ennis uh, is the pastor. And God just laid it on our hearts earlier this year, my wife, Amy, and I, that it was time to follow our dream and go and plant a church in Aliso Viejo. It's been probably, you know, 20 years on my heart to do this. And so I'm just so thankful that the time has finally come. And we have three daughters. They're nine and five and two. And it just feels like the perfect moment for our family to be planting this church because it, it's something that we get to do as a family. The, the girls understand it and they're excited about it. And, you know, the best part to me, I mean, John made a joke about Aliso so Viejo, Michigan. Um, I, I just praise God that, that there is no such place as Aliso Viejo, uh, Michigan, because I don't know about you, but I feel like Southern California is by far the greatest place in the world to live. Would you agree? I mean, where, what, where's better than Southern California? I, I, I spent like the first 30 years of my life here, and then my wife and I got this idea, like, we might, we might experience something new if we move elsewhere. So we moved to Nashville uh, in Tennessee, and, and, and believe it or not, if you spend enough time around Twang, it grows on you. Um, I, can, I can guarantee that. And then, then we moved to Seattle, Washington, and it doesn't matter how much time you spend around rain, it doesn't grow on you. I can promise you that. So, um, so now we're back in Southern California, and, and I wanted to start this morning with a list of uh, 10 signs that you love Southern California as much as I do, okay? So see how you guys feel about these. This is, audience participation is required in this section of the sermon, so, so join in with me on this. The first sign that California love uh, runs through your veins is this, you have militant opinions about what should go inside a burrito. Anybody, anybody feel that way? Yeah, and listen, when I planned this, I did not know that there would be burritos served <laughs> this morning. So I hope it lives up to your standards, you know? Like, breakfast burritos, I feel, should have some form of potato. Anybody else? Yeah, so see how they do. Uh, okay, number two. Oh, and carne asada. Yeah, anyway. Uh, number two, you think flip-flops are appropriate footwear for most occasions. Yeah. <laughs> I know, guys, I dressed up for you today. Can you see? I mean, I, I would be so much happier if my feet were free to breathe up here right now. But I, you never know. You know, like when you go to church, you just never know what, what it's going to feel like. So uh, number three, you call everyone dude at some point in your life. Yeah, Aaron refrained this morning, but I know he wanted to say dude. Uh, oh, this one's good. You agree with the following statement avocado makes everything better, right? I mean, talking about what should go in a burrito, obvious, whole or guacamole, however you, whatever you're feeling that day, you know, regular avocado in the morning, guacamole for lunch, regular avocado for dinner. Uh, number five, you have a decreased 
sense of urgency about just about everything. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, if you walk outside and you look out there right now, it's just, it's perfect, right? What, what is there to feel urgent about? Um, number six, this one's good too. Uh, Tapatio trumps Cholula or Tabasco every time, right? Come on. It's so much better. I mean, Tapatio and Cholula close, but still, Tapatio wins in my book. Uh, Number seven, you would never, ever order off the regular printed menu at In-N-Out Burger. Am I right? Come on. Animal style, it's the way to go. Protein style, if you're like all the women in my life and they can't eat gluten. Um, yeah, it's not as good that way, though. So don't, don't, no, don't get it that way. Uh, number eight, anything under 65 degrees is jacket weather, right? And then anything under 50 degrees is freezing, right? We just, should just agree. You should not go outside in that kind of, in that kind of, I mean, you suffer, like, those, like, if there was an Aliso Viejo, Michigan, can you imagine? They did, negative 50, you know? Uh, number nine, June gloom is both a horrible weather condition, the, the gray skies in the summer, and then the accompany, accompanying equally depressing state of mind that comes along with that. Uh, yeah, it is. June is just, it's a tough month for us, guys. We all know it. Uh, and then finally, number 10, growing up, you learned how to ski surf, and sail, or all three. You learned all three. And if you're like me, you tried all three and you failed miserably. So I don't know what that means about me. Maybe I don't uh, qualify to live in, in Southern California, but I'm going for it. I'm going for it. So, so uh, when I was a kid at my grandparents' house up in Northern California, they had this collection of a magazine that I don't even know if it exists anymore, but back in the day, it was a pretty powerful magazine. It was called The Reader's Digest. Anybody remember the reader? And like, I feel, I think this was, I mean, nobody ever explained this to me, but I think the concept of the Reader's Digest is you can like read a little section of a book and not have to read the whole book. Is that the, is that the concept? Anyway, I didn't really read any of that part, but they had these various sections of the Reader's Digest. And my grandmother had, I don't know, 500 old Reader's Digests. So there was this one section that was my favorite. You guys might remember it. And I think it's true. The, the, the name of the section is absolutely true. And that is, laughter is the best medicine. Right? I mean, a great section in Reader's Digest. And then laughter can change our hearts. Right? Laughter can change our situation. Sometimes a good laugh can make us remember what's good about our life. Remember what we love about our life. And, you know, I know that John Rittenhouse is one of the funniest guys I've met. So I know you guys get to, you probably look forward to coming here on Sunday and seeing what that crazy man is going to do, right? Because because it's going to do something positive in your life. That's why as pastors, we get to joke, right? Because it, 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 it changes the way we feel. On the other hand, laughter at the wrong moment right, can sometimes indicate that we have no understanding of what's really going on in the moment. When I was a kid in fourth grade, uh, I had developed this habit, maybe some of you have this habit, where you know how sometimes somebody says something to you and you don't really hear what they say, you know? And what I would do 
uh, I don't know where I got this from, but like if, if, if they said something and I didn't really track with what they said, I would just giggle, okay? So like in fourth grade, this finally uh, came back to bite me. I was by my teacher's desk and standing over there and we were having a conversation and then she said something and I had zero idea what she said, I promise. And then I started laughing and the, the expression on her face just completely changed. And she grabbed me by the shoulder and just, you know, you know when your teacher like really grabs you, you know what I'm talking about? Like powerfully digging into my shoulder and just walked me back to my desk and shoved me down in the desk. And I, I did not know what was going on. And then she, what she said was, why are you laughing? What I was saying to you is that you just stepped on my foot <laughs> and it really hurt. You know, so my teacher's impression of me, fourth grade me, innocent, fourth grade me, at that point was that when she said, you just stepped out on my foot, I burst out laughing in the moment, right? And you can understand why she would be upset about it. The thing was, I don't even, I had no idea, you know. If you laugh at the wrong moments, it can communicate that you're not understanding what's going on. And, and even more than that, there are times when laughter is uh, completely the wrong response. And when inappropriate laughter can indicate that we might be missing out on something that could transform our lives. I want to show you a moment in Scripture today where, where the laughter is the wrong response. It's going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42. We're going to jump in at verse 35 in just a moment. It's going to be up on the screen. But before we get there, I kind of want to set the stage for what's happening in this in this moment of scripture. So there, there's a, a synagogue leader, a Jewish synagogue leader by the name of Jairus, who is coming to find Jesus because Jairus' daughter is sick. And Jairus has heard stories of Jesus and is coming to find Jesus in the hope that maybe Jesus can do something for his daughter who is so sick. And as Jairus is approaching Jesus in this moment, he witnesses an incredible scene. Literally, as Jairus is walking up to Jesus, he sees this woman just simply touch the hem of Jesus' garment. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and looks around and says, who touched me? And the woman acknowledges that she's touched him. And Jesus speaks to her that simply by reaching out and touching the hem of his garment, she has been made whole of this disease that she's been suffering with for many, many years. Can you imagine that? You know, if you're Jairus and you're on the way, your heart is broken for this little daughter of yours who is sick. You're on your way to find Jesus, probably believing against everyone else's advice around you at the time, all the other Jewish people who attend your synagogue and believe the same things you do. Uh, against all of their advice, you're hoping that this man, this incredible man, Jesus, can do something for your daughter and you come up on the scene and you witness Jesus do this incredible healing. You know, talk about a faith-building moment, right? Like if you're Jairus, you're thinking, this is incredible. Until verse 35. Look at what happens in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? 
I mean, uh, talk about the wind going out of your sails, right? Here you are on your way with this man who has the power to heal, believing something incredible is going to happen for your sick daughter. And then the people come and say, you're too late, Jairus. She's dead. You, just, you, don't, you don't even need this person, Jesus, anymore. The moment has passed. There's nothing that can be done. Send him away. We don't even need him. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Can you relate to how Jairus feels there? As, you know, you, you, you think you have the solution for something. You, ha- you finally have some hope that something's going to change. And then, whoosh, it feels like the rug gets pulled out from under you. It makes me think of some people, I mean, I, I can picture them in my head right now that I've known in my life who get that dreaded big C cancer diagnosis, you know? And then they process through all the challenges of that and they, they decide on the treatment plan they're going to have. They go through the treatment plan, they suffer through that, and then at the end of that, they get the, the good news, your cancer is in remission, you know? And then some period of time later, they come back in and the doctor looks them in the face and says, well, the cancer has returned. I mean, I just know too many people that that's their story, you know? It's like, just when we think, oh, solution, there's hope. Just when Jairus thinks, man, I found him. I found the guy. He can do it. The rug gets pulled out from under and there's that sense again, there's nothing I can do. That's how, that's how Jairus must have felt in that moment. Imagine yourself in that place this morning. But, but then Jesus hears what these people are saying to Jairus. And so look at what Jesus responds with in verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I feel like Jesus just kind of gets what Jairus is feeling in that moment. You know, he, he sees the look on Jairus' face when the people from his home arrive. And, and Jesus can empathize with what Jairus must be feeling. And, and I connect with the first part of what Jesus says to Jairus, which is don't be afraid. Do you connect with that? I mean... If you're Jairus and it hits you that the, the thing you'd put your hope in to make a difference in your daughter's life isn't going to matter anymore, fear would really come rushing in, wouldn't it? I mean, that sense of, oh no, I'm going to lose this little girl I love so much. I mean, let's be honest. We all know what fear feels like. But we're very familiar with that sense of fear. And so Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid. I get that part. But then he says this interesting kind of like Jesus saying, you know, just believe, Jairus, you know. Have you noticed like how often Jesus says stuff and you're just kind of like, what do you mean, Jesus, you know? I mean, the disciples, they represent us in this and they always go, Jesus, uh, we don't know what you're talking about, you know. 
And, and there's just moment after moment, like, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, like, I'm sure Peter and James and John are like, what, fishers of men? All right, well, dude seems cool. Let's follow him, you know? And they just don't know what he's saying. And here, it would be nice if Jesus told Jairus what to believe in, you know? What is he talking about? Don't be afraid. I, I totally get Just believe. If I were there, like, Jesus, believe what? What are you, believe my daughter's dead? Believe there's no hope? Believe, I, what is Jesus saying to believe? I mean, that's the question, right? Believe in what? And we'll see exactly what Jesus means as this journey continues. In verse 37, it says, He, being Jesus, did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. But they laughed at him. Ouch. Those are not the five words that you would want to be your legacy, right? I mean, the king of kings, the Messiah, the miracle worker, the all-powerful one. Jesus walks into the room full of the power to change any situation that the people in that room might find themselves. I mean, he comes ready to heal. He comes ready to accomplish incredible things. And what's the response of the people? They laughed at him. It's easy to look at those people and kind of have a sense of judgment in our hearts towards them. They say hindsight is twenty-twenty. you know? We, we know something probably most of us do about where the story is going. And so we look at this and we say, but they laughed at Jesus? Like, how? How could they have responded in that way? But they laughed at him. But, but think, on, think on this with me for a moment. Like, really, really chew on this. Like, if you just picked the story up at verse 38, if, if, if none of the stuff had happened with the woman touching the hem and being healed, if you didn't get to see that, right? If you were not eyewitness to that, and you just happened to be there in that home, and you pick the story up there, and in walks this person, everyone in the room is heartbroken, right? They're mourning the death of this little girl, and in walks this man into the room, and the first words out of, out of his mouth are, well, the child's not dead. She's just asleep. Like, how would we respond? You know? I, imagine with me that right now we were all in here, and this was a funeral service. You know? And, and there was the body of a loved one in a casket up here on the platform. And we were all grieving at this loved one. And then the, the back doors of the sanctuary push open and a person walks in and announces to the room, hey, the loved one is not dead. They're just asleep. How would we respond, do you think? I mean, probably 
a little bit more strong than just laughter, right? Somebody would probably be like, hello, uh, can you send somebody from the loony bin? We've got a crazy person who's just walked in to the room, right? I mean, that's just not how you enter the scene when people are mourning over death. Unless there's something maybe that you can do about it. I mean, I think the key to our response, if we were people in this room, in Jairus' house, the key to the response is, who is it that's walked into the room? Right? Our understanding of who that person is makes all the difference in that moment. It all depends on who we know and understand that person to be. Is this just some crazy or maybe just very insensitive person? Or is this Jesus? Is this a person who can do something about this? And the answer to that question changes everything about that moment when that person walks into the room. And see, this is the thing that I think Mark wants us to understand in this moment. If we understand who Jesus is, if we've walked with Jesus, if we've seen Jesus heal a woman simply by her touching the hem of his garment, if we've seen him heal the blind person, if we've seen him heal the deaf person, I mean, if we've experienced the life-changing transformation of salvation, if we know who this Jesus is, then our response when he walks into the room and says this child is not dead, she's only asleep, will be completely different. It all depends on who we believe the person to be. Believe, just believe, Jesus says. So let me ask you this, this morning. Who do you believe this Jesus to be? Because that changes everything about how you respond to him. It changes everything about how you respond to the challenging moments of your life, does it not? When you come to those moments where it feels like the rug has pulled out from under you and the hope is gone and the solution that you thought was the solution is not the solution anymore, your very response to that is all contingent on who you believe Jesus to be. Faith, in the end, faith is really just about knowing who it is that has walked into the room. That's faith. And my my goal for us this morning is to redefine faith for us. Because I think a lot of times we complicate faith, don't we? We turn it into something that is so difficult to grab hold of. Right? And we we talk ourselves out of it all the time. But we're, we're concerned about well, is this true, or how can I know it to be true, or 
I got, I got a text from somebody, or not a text, a Facebook message today is through some of what we're doing for our church plant. And she was sharing with me some of her questions. And she's like, you know, God just spoke to me. She's a, she comes from a Jewish background. So she's like, God just spoke to me about who Jesus is and I need to follow him. But I got this set of questions. And, and the questions were like, you know, why didn't everybody at Jesus' day, why didn't everybody realize who he was? And, you know, like, all the Jewish people change and follow him. Like, why are we still in this situation today where, where, the, where the people that Jesus came from don't follow him? I mean, if, if what you're saying about Jesus is true, then why doesn't everybody believe it? Right? Faith is something that we tend to complicate, you know? But here's the thing. If you see who Jesus is, if you see what he can do, I mean, even more incredibly, if you experience what he can do, which I'm guessing that some of us in this room have experienced, maybe some of us haven't, but let me say that once you do experience that, then faith becomes a very simple thing. Because all faith is, is understanding who this Jesus is and what he's capable of. Because then when we come to those moments in our life that are difficult, that are, you know, beyond difficult, that that just don't make sense, where all hope is gone, we can believe that everything will shift when Jesus walks in the room. Changes, changes everything. So faith is really simply about knowing and understanding who Jesus is, what he's capable of, what he can do in a moment. And see, when you get that kind of of understanding of Jesus, when you know Jesus like that, again, it's not that complicated. Like when you just experience what he can do and you know what he's capable of, let me just say there is nothing, nothing, That is too hard for him. There is nothing that you will face that is impossible for him. Even death itself is not too much for Jesus. That's what it comes down to. Even death cannot stand. You know, I I told you a little bit about my wife and I coming to this realization that it was time for us to take a step out and go into a brand new thing in our life. And, you know, we were super comfortable there at the Lance Fellowship. It was, it was good. The, the bills were paid, you know. The house was, like, nice. Had a pool and everything. I mean, it was nice. And not only that, but, like, I don't know if you guys are, like, fully in tune on, like, cost differences by region uh, in Southern California, but Aliso Viejo compared to Lake Elsinore, you know, they say, like, like, I mean, pretty much everybody else is making the move in the other direction, you know? Like, oh, that's how much the houses are there. Well, let's go out to Lake Elsinore where we can have our dream home. And here's, here's us getting this sense like God is saying, no, go the other way. It was a faith proposition 
to sit down with Buzzy and all the leaders there and say, hey, I think this is what God is wanting to do in us. Well, it, it started before that, like, because I'd talked to my wife about planting a church before, and, and her response was, I think what you would expect when you're looking to step into a situation that's going to put your family in a risky financial place and means walking away from fruitful ministry to something unknown, you know? Her response all the way up to that point was, well, I, I know church planting is your dream, uh, but hasn't always been mine. So, so before I ever sat down with the leaders at Lambs, when my wife looked me in the eyes and says, I think we ought to plant a church in Aliso Viejo, I mean, I, I kind of knew at that point, okay, I'm out of excuses now, you know, it's, it's on. And, and then God began to speak to us about how he can provide miraculously in the most sparse environments, you know. There are scriptures in the Bible that says God will create streams in the desert and pathways in the wilderness. And, and come on, guys, be honest. Like, why, if, if I've been serving God for a while now, and I've been a pastor, and I've seen him do things, I've seen him do incredible things. I've seen him do miracles. If, God, if I feel like God is telling me to go, so what if it's expensive? To go to an expensive place and start a church for him, why should my response be, well, God, it's a little, little too pricey, right? Like, why, why would I respond? I mean, I, I only have, I, ha, I would have nothing were it not for God's miracles in my life, right? But yet, yet, just like all of us, I get to the point where I finally find something that I feel like is impossible for God, you know? And so, so then I go in and I sit down with the leadership team at Lambs, and I mean, it shocked me, but they all were like, this sounds like a great idea, you know? I mean, I'll be honest, there was a part of me that was like, are you guys just trying to get rid of us? Is that, what, is that what's going on here? But, but, but no, they were supportive, and you know, uh, Pastor Gary Ennis, who used to be one of the pastors here and planted that church in Lambs, I mean, he literally got like excited, like, oh, this is going to be great, and started talking me through, you know, yeah, when you first start, there's, you know, there'll be like 10 people, but then over time, it'll, it'll build up, you know, all those stories that, that church planters tell you, you know, and, and so, so just, it all started to move, and it all started to roll, and we started to get out there, but, but like every day for us requires remembering who Jesus is and what he's capable of. But let's be honest, would you want to live your life any other way? Like what other way really? I mean, if we try to live our lives differently than that, aren't we kind of just fooling ourselves? Thinking that we somehow have it all figured out? And then, and then what happens is these moments sneak up on us, right? And then the rug gets pulled out from under, and then we're filled, filled with doubt, and then we're filled with fear. We, we were moving on August 1st, and we looked for like five months. We're renting a house. We looked for like five months, and we, we you know, you get that, that feeling. Um, maybe some of you have this when you're moving to a new town, and you're like, wait, how much does it cost to rent a tiny house here? You know, that feeling. So then you have to like adjust to that for several months. And so then you really get the sense of where you're, where, what you're going to have to pay for a house. And so we're looking, we're looking. We finally find this house. But the thing about Aliso Viejo right now is when you go to apply for a house, it's already got like six applicants, you know? It's just this crazy, we want to apply for the house. Well, they've already got five, so hurry up and get your... And you know, then, then the sense that I had once that moment came was like, oh, great. You know, we're going to stack church planter salary 
up against, you know, the people that live in Elisa Viejo salary. Who's going to get that house, you know? And we, we literally had this moment. We, we, we were like, okay, we're going to apply for this house. You know, you're excited when you do it, and then you send the information in, and you go, oh, jeez. <laughs> now we're going to get this call of like, sorry, um, what makes you guys think that you, I mean, do you, do you realize how m- little money you make? What makes you think that you should get this house, you know? But amazingly, it wasn't that call at all. You know, it was like, hey, the house is yours, you know? And at first, first, we were the first applicant for this house, which was, blew us away because that hadn't happened yet. And then the house is yours. But then we had the moment, oh, the miracle happened. We got the house. Um, how much is the deposit on the house? I mean, I know, I'm just telling this story because I know you guys relate to this story, right? Because this is like every moment of our lives. God does a miracle. We celebrate the miracle. And then we look at the ramifications. And even though God does a miracle, we don't get to stop living in faith, do we? It's like one miracle just means we got to have more faith now. But, when we know who it is that's walked in the room, it shouldn't matter. So let me ask you, what are you facing in your life right now that if you had the kind of faith that knew that you knew who it was that has walked into the room with fire in his eyes, and is on your side and wants to leverage his power for your good and do all the things that he's promised for you in the midst of the situation that you're in, how might it change the way you approach that situation? I bet everybody's got one, something that you're facing. And if you don't, tomorrow you're going to. So how would it change if you knew who it was? that had walked into the room. Let's look at the end of the story. After he asked all the laughing people to leave the room, Jesus took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So, this guy who walks into the room, when he calls the situation upside down from how we see it and says, oh, she's not dead. She's asleep. He does so because he has the power to tell the dead to rise and to speak hope and life and provision and the miraculous into our situations. That's what he does. And I would... would, sense him saying to you today 
Will you trust me? I mean, for some of you, it's will you trust me in the way that you've trusted me before? And, and, and those of you that the question is being phrased that way for, you really don't have an excuse, right? Because you've seen him do it before. But if you're in here and you've never seen that before, let me just say, take our word for it. Jesus will come through. You just have to give him a chance to step into your room in that way and to speak life to the death that's in your life and to, to, to change the situation that you find yourself and to tell the people that are laughing, hey, get out of the room. I got some business to do in here. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we thank you for these, these incredible moments in Scripture that show us the truth about who we are as human beings. Like these moments where, where we, the human beings of this world that you've created and, and empowered with so much, where we just look so bad in our response to you, Lord. But we, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that, that those moments are us. They're a reflection of our hearts, God. And I know, I, I include myself in this, and I know so many of us in here, Lord, in the moments of our life where you have the most incredible things that you want to do, I am sure that we have looked at you and laughed, doubting that you could really do that impossible thing for us. And, and I just would pray right now, God, for anybody this morning that finds themselves in one of those impossible places, God. The, the people that are just hurting, that are feeling like they, they are stuck, that the hope is gone, that, that they've tried every plan that they can think of and nothing is coming together, Lord. I, I would just pray faith into those this morning, Lord. I would just pray a simple faith, a, a childlike faith, a faith that says, you know what? It does not matter what the circumstances may be. I know Jesus. And Jesus is the difference maker. Jesus is the one that can transform everything. And, and especially, God, if there's anybody here today that has just never known you that way before, anybody that has never known that Jesus wants to do this for them. Anybody that has, has never heard that there is one who can speak life to death and who can uh, take even our, our broken, sinful lives and transform them into something new. Anyone that has never heard of what you did on the cross with your death and your resurrection, God, I just pray for anybody that's in that place today. And, and if that's you and you've just, you've never known before that simply by trusting in Jesus and, and, and believing in him that, that he can leverage who he is into your life. I just want to invite you to do that this morning. It's, it's not hard. It's simple. It's just a matter of saying, wow, Jesus, I missed it. I just didn't know who you were. And now I, I want to embrace who you are and I want you to work in my life. And so if that's you, I just invite you to do that. And I'm sure that this church knows how to help you if you're taking that step this morning. So 
I, guess on their, I would guess on your connection card there's a place to mark that down. Do that and then begin the journey of learning to really trust Jesus and see what his faith can do. But I just pray for what faith in him can do. But I just pray for all of us this morning, God. Renew faith in us. Let faith rise in us. Not complicated faith, not anything more than just knowing you to be who you say you are, Jesus, and knowing what you're capable of. That's the way we want to know you anew and afresh today. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.